Welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up too at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montessi, joined again by AFL legend Warren Treadray. G'day, Treaders. Hey, Monty. How are you? Good, thank you, sir. Now, we've got another bumper wrap with sports business news happening at home and all over the world. Let's start with the AFL, though. Now, today, the club CEOs are meeting with AFL Chief Executive Andrew Dillon today. What's on the agenda, Treaders? Well, this is all around. There's a couple of different things they're sort of floating around. They're talking about fixture innovations, um, positioning AFL buyers, and potential changes to the final system. So of all those three bits, I want to know what they're talking about in terms of potential changes to the final system. So there's been a story that's been uh, revealed online that uh, News Corp to suggest that the AFL is looking at potentially following a NBA-style model where the... Um, the lowest rank qualifiers for the so-called finals or playoffs in the NBA get to playoffs uh, for the opportunity to make it. So instead of having a hard eight, as we know, the AFL's then floating an idea, and it's sort of been trialled a little bit in the VFL this year, where the seventh-ranked team who finishes seventh at the end of the minor round will play against the tenth-ranked team, and the eighth-ranked team will play against the ninth-ranked team. The winner of those two games effectively win the spots seven and eight into the current finals eight system. So for me, it's an interesting one. Some fans go, this is great. It really keeps it interesting because anyone who knows the AFL system right now, there's a lot of people and a lot of teams really bunched. I think there's something like three games separates between fourth and 12th at the moment. Um, so it is really, really close. So when you see a game on the weekend, like Melbourne falling in uh, against Brisbane, you go, wow, that's going to keep it closer. Then you've got St Kilda lose, and then all of a sudden other teams move up. So it's an interesting one. But for me, this is all just trying to create a little bit more hysteria around the game. I'm all for bringing good things, but this reeks is just another cash grab because you know what? This game is not included in their probably broadcast deal like we saw with Gather Round when that was played in South Australia. And Gather Round actually started it. The, the word around is that started with a discussion with the AFL captains uh, in 2022. So what the AFL is looking to do here is to pretty much get a bit more excitement. It might be using that mid, mid-buy before the final starts, but to have 7th be 8th or 8th be 9th, they've been doing that for the last 10 weeks anyway. You know, jostling, pressure on it, injuries, managing players, trying to, you know, win games away from homes in the so-called eight-point games when you come up with a team that you're very close to in points. So for me... I don't think it's going to add anything. Yes, it'll fill the AFL two more games to sell to their broadcasters like they did with a gun to the head with the broadcasters for Gather Round because they hadn't budgeted on paying for another nine matches for the week. Um, so I just sit back and go, really? Do we really need it? Um, I think umpiring should be on the agenda. I, I think uh, yeah, sitting back on the rules and being totally clarified with the players, what, what constitutes bump, what constitutes holding the ball would be better better felt but um yeah so the afl chief 
who will take over as CEO, Andrew Dillon, today, uh, is at Werribee House in Victoria with all the clubs and talking about all these things and, and particularly them wanting to put, the AFL wanting to put in a wildcard round. Oh, I get for improving the game, but I just think this is just simply cash and, and try to, you know, s- s- squeeze the uh, squeeze the lemon dry. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. Uh, you know, that that kind of week before finals tends to be pretty dead a lot of the time, the way they've structured it. Uh, I agree, it is a cash grab. I mean, it always is these days. Uh, but, yeah, I do find it interesting that there is this real renewed focus on fixture innovation. Again, like they're following the US, right? Like you look at the the NFL and the and the NBA, uh, they're all about the product, they're all about the commercials, and that they don't hide the fact that they are literally jostling around their fixture to suit broadcast and money making opportunities. So I think we're gonna see more of it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. But remember when that fixture was put in, and I get why it works, is because Russ Lyon rested about 18 players when they played Port Adelaide and Port couldn't play finals and the Dockers were top two going for a premiership. So, oh, I'd love to see him remove that pre-finals by, what, what are we doing it now? Nothing. You know, originally it was a, the trial of the women's game. I remember it was the original women's game that got great returns and, and people turned out in their droves to watch the match, which was great for the women's game of football. But I just sit back and go, do we need it? And if I'm a player, and yeah, if I'm the team that's ninth or 10th, I'm wrapped. If I'm the team that's 7th or 8th, I've played 23 matches over 24 weeks and spent eight months preparing, even longer, well, whatever before that, in terms of throwing pre-season. So you're almost going a nine-month process to prepare to get to a stage, and my team has been 7th or 8th. I deserve to play in the finals. I don't then need to take play against a tr- another game against a team when you could be juggling injuries against a team who's been worse than you guys. And imagine if there is a gap between um, ninth and 10th. So, say the 10th team has won six games for the year. Imagine we had such a lopsided situation like that. Then I don't think it's going to really help out. I don't know. It's just my take. Now, there's a bit of movement happening at West Coast, Stratus. Yeah, there's, there's just some rumours around suggest that there's a lot of pressure going back a month or so. Will Adam Simpson keep his job? He's got a contract for next year on huge money. Then the other pressure was, oh, what's happening with the CEO? He's been there 20 years, Trevor Nisbet. Uh, he needs to go too. But it's interesting because some of the industry talk, and no one has spoken about this as all, as uh, Trevor Nisbet, the, there was word around that he could step down at the end of the season. And, and that would be a big move because the CEO has been there a long time. He's turned them into an absolute powerhouse on and off the field. Clearly, they've got their challenges at the moment. And that's simply because they chased an extra premiership following 2018. They've been smashed by injuries on all the players pretty much on long-term contracts. So it's almost been a perfect storm against them, sadly. Um, and there's also word around, too, that their footy manager, Ron O'Brien, who stepped up in the last year or so to replace Craig Vosso, who was the former footy manager at West Coast, who went to Essendon as CEO. The word is that he was actually going to retire uh, last year in the industry. So they're, they're suggesting, um, there's people around suggesting that he was pretty much said, staff another 12 months and help us out. So there could be a, a case where your head footy guy and also your CEO could be not at West Coast next year. Sure, there'll be good people to come in and there'll be some people in the industry, player managers, other football managers, people on football development who want to step up to the role, be interested because West Coast is a coveted club. They're the richest club in the game. Also, you're stepping in 
to make huge change if you want to, because they're at the bottom of the barrel. They're playing really poorly. They've got issues in terms of their playing stops. You'd be able to rebrand and relook at that. Um, and then obviously you'd have to be involved in a serious decision about what happens with the coach. But if the CEO and the footy manager step around, like a lot of the industry people are talking about, then that would suggest that Adam Simpson probably survives. Now, what about uh, Essendon star and free agent, Mason Redmond, South Australian? There's plenty of talk that the Crows are going to throw the kitchen sink at him. Where's that at, Treaders? What are you hearing? Well, the bowlers are slow to move. I know they pitched him uh, with Simon Madden, the 27 number, uh, a period of time, but it's well known in the industry the bombers just drag their heels on a lot of this stuff. They, they just sit there and play the game. Aiden Jadoro loves playing the game, and he's a good operator. But I, I think it's getting to a stage that um, the Adelaide Crows are really, really confident of getting him because the table to six year deal, the word around it's in the sevens, 700 per seven, 750. So they're paying big money. Adelaide have got heaps of room in their salary cap because you look at when they played in that grand final in 2017, a lot of senior players left. Taylor Walker will probably re sign, but on similar money to what he's on, Rory Sloan comes off a massive deal. Who else is getting paid really big money at Adelaide? They went and got Rankin. They front-loaded that over a million dollars for a three-year deal at 800000 They've signed young Rochelle for big money. But this is a situation that they need someone at halfback. Jordan uh, Dawson, their skipper, was the halfback flanker they went and recruited. Now he's turned into one of the best centermen in the competition. So they've they've got a space for him. So And he comes from Millicent. So it's not really Adelaide. It's not like he's coming home. It's I think it's about 400 k's to Adelaide, 450 or 500 to Melbourne. So... It's um, it's not as if he's uh, a guy moving back to South Australia uh, in the place that he spent a huge part of his life in. So I would, there's a, pretty much everyone's expecting in the industry that he'll the the restricted free agent Redmond will end up at the Crows on a six year deal because the Bombers have been slow to move, and they've also got other priorities too. Darcy Parish is their main man they want to get locked away. Is their gut inside midfielder who's having a very good season. He's also a free agent this year, so. Uh, they got a lot of work to do, the Bombers, and um, it, whilst it might not be an absolute done deal, because technically no one can table any offers to anyone until free agency starts at the end of the year. We all know they've been throwing offers left, right, and centre. And Adelaide, when they do, they throw telephone numbers because it's almost... A, sometimes they, they roll with a side of desperation how they do these deals. Yeah, and what about Port Adelaide? Why wouldn't they throw their hat in the ring for Redmond? Well, they've got a heap of halfback flakers. You look about Burton and Bergman, who's now staying, and Bergman was the flight risk midway through the year. But I think they're more set on um, maybe re-establishing going after who they did last year was Osava Radagalia from Geelong. So, you know, he requested a trade last year. It didn't happen. Pulled off the second-round pick. Geelong being smart, the word around in the industry was that they said, oh, we don't want to strengthen a team that we think could be around the mark next year and be a competitor. So... Port Adelaide at the moment, without McKenzie in the team, Tom Jonas looks like his papers are stamped, came back into the team and didn't play well, the captain of the team at the moment. And I think if you look at what Port Adelaide needs, they need a big body uh, defender. And Radicalia is someone who has shown promising signs this year, uh, apart from having a couple of injuries. Well, pretty intriguing as well with Brody Grundy now, uh, fall out of favour at the D's. Already they're talking that like, realistically he could end up at a third club, which is quite remarkable, kind of given where how things evolved for him. Is Port Adelaide in the mix there, do you think? Oh, I think they've, they've flagged. Some people have written, um, uh, I think Fox Sports had written that Port Adelaide had re-flagged their, their, um, their interest in him. But if you look at this time last year, 
off the top of my head, Geelong was interested. Melbourne was clearly interested. Port Adelaide was interested. And then there was one other. I think it may have even been Hawthorne. But Hawthorne was quickly dismissed because he wanted to be a part of a team. He thought he could win a flag. He's an ex-South Australian. He didn't actually want to come home to South Australia. His wife's got a business set up in Melbourne. So Melbourne went all in. You know, I mean, you know, Collingwood signed him on that seven-year deal. Melbourne last year locked him away till 2027. Collingwood are paying about 300000 of that. But what I found really interesting on the weekend from Simon Goodwin's comments is that he's got to learn his craft. He's not a forward. It's like trying to retrain me as a defender. I'm not a forward or a ruckman. Like, he's played really well as a ruckman pushing forward and getting on the scoreboard and being an all-Australian ruckman and a superstar. But now that Max Gorn's back, um, Grundy was the second ruck, um, ranked ruckman just from stats while Grundy was out for a period of time this year. So this is the bit uh, I find really interesting. They gave up a first-round pick for him. Bitport was interested. They don't have a first-round pick because they went all in on Jason Horn Francis last year. But in saying that, Mitch Georgiatis, I'm expecting, I assume Port Adelaide is probably expecting him to ask for a trade, but he's out with a knee reconstruction and anyone wanting to get him who used to be a first-round draft pick and is a really promising forward who's struggling to stay in the team at Alberton. Maybe that's where they get the first-round pick from if he wanted to do it. But any team is going to jump on him and it's going to come back to what... Um, Grundy wants to do. Does he want to stick it out at Melbourne and play there or does he want to play first ruck starting next year and not have to wait for Max Gorn to maybe push him out of the team from form or retire? So it'll be a decision that imagine you get a situation where he's on over a million on a seven-year deal, right? We've still got four years, including this year to go. You then potentially Melbourne get a first-round pick in return, but Melbourne might be topping up, say, 200000 of his money after Collingwood has topped up 300000 of his money for the term of the deal. So anyone getting a first-round pick might get a gun ruckman, 29 years of age, body still really good, fall pretty good, um, for a $500,000, $600,000 play. It's really good business if someone wants to look at it. And and if there's a group that can get it done, the um, yeah, his management group have consistently got sort of deals done. So it's going to come back to the player. Uh, and, and it fits for Port. If he wanted to come to Port, Scott Lysett's in the final year of a contract, got dropped early in the year, came back in the team in some decent form. But I suspect that if he's going to be back on the market again, there's going to be a lot of teams interested, particularly if he's around for half a million bucks a year. Now, this time last week, we were talking about the uh, breaking news that Stewie Jew got sacked as Gold Coast coach. Now, less than a week later, he spotted at Old Trafford with the Australian cricket team. What's going on there? Yeah, and it's not Old Trafford, Manchester United. It's Old Trafford, the cricket oval. So um, uh, I saw some um, some photos of him this morning. Um, yeah, Stewie Jew played out at, I think, Salisbury Cricket Club. Uh, a guy on the Australian test team tried to get to Salisbury Cricket Club, Northern Districts, um, and actually got, dad didn't return, they, they didn't return his dad's phone call. As this little story, that player, um, had to go and play at Tea Tree Gully Cricket Club. And because the back then Salisbury or Northern Districts Footy Club, uh, Cricket Club in Adelaide didn't return the father's number about when tryouts would be. And that father is actually father of Travis Head. So there's a little story for you. Talk about recruiting. If you're a local cricket club and dad rings to say, can my team, uh, son come and play cricket for you, pick up the phone because he could be a test cricketer. Um, so yeah, I think there's links there. I think there's links from Adelaide's North, um, in being a, uh, a Tanunda boy and, 
um, Dewey being a, a Northern Suburbs boy at Central Districts many, many years ago. But um, yeah, I think it's strange. Um, we've seen numerous different coaches coming in and out for periods of time. I know Ricky Ponting's done a little bit of work there. Obviously, a cricketer, Dewey Jews had a look. I, I remember seeing, um, yeah, only a couple of weeks ago, uh, the young McLaren uh, driver, Oscar Piastri, was actually uh, at training too. So, um, Joel Seward was there at times as well. So, yeah, they're ringing through the different changes and people who are involved in their, their stories in sport and supporting the Australian cricket team in the Ashes. Yeah, it was good to see Stewie uh, up and about and getting involved and seemingly moving on pretty quickly. And I think, as you say, the uh, you know depending on how closely you follow the sports industry, the crossover uh, that these kind of elite professionals do and uh, and try and draw as much as they can from different sports and uh, you know the learnings you can get uh, from different sports and not kind of being stuck in your own silo. Uh, most professionals recognise that, so you see it a fair bit. Yeah, and now, it also looks really, Monty, it looks really good for him too. Like if you go from a looking and branding point of view, he got shafted by his club. You know, he was doing a pretty good job, but he got shafted because David Hardwick's available and the ASL pulled the trigger on it um, a week after being told he's guaranteed his position. And he's just instead of sat there and sobbed about it, you know, what do you do, sit on the Gold Coast and just twiddle your thumbs and surf? Like I know that would appeal to me right now and probably you, but... He's a professional coach, so he thought, what opportunities he's got? His management group's probably got a phone call and said, hey, do you want to come over and, and check this out? Or he's probably gone, you know what, how can I get some tickets to this test match? Maybe I just want to get away and have a holiday, and that's where it turns to. He's, he's a cricket, cricket nut, and he's a bloody talented cricketer back in the day too, Stewie Jew. He used to roll the old arm over, and um, yeah, no one could ever get him out because he's just, I think he played junior district cricket. Um, so he's, he's a talent there. So I think it's good and it looks good for his brand too. But people go, wow, look at him. He's not messing around. Got shafted and he's moving on and he'll, he'll appear in club land again next year in a really senior role. Yeah, it's a good call. Uh, now, Traders, we've got, uh, uh, the, the massive build up for the women's world cup, uh, that we've got the Matildas kicking off on Thursday night against Ireland. So things are really ramping up. You can really feel it in Australia. There's a lot of excitement. What's how big is it going to be? What are the ticket sales like? Well, as you say, it kicks off Thursday against Ireland. One point two five million tickets have been sold, and that was a report last week, which is pretty pretty good. So, you know, in that figure, as we all know, with these um, PR companies who are involved in it, they normally hold a little bit back for a grand announcement. So, don't be surprised that they're actually going to topple the record, which was one point three five million tickets that were sold in the tournament in Canada in twenty fifteen. So. Um, of those 1.25 million tickets, only uh, just over 300,000 have come from New Zealand. So certainly the Aussies have got behind the Matildas because we're at genuine charts at uh, shaking the tournament. So, yeah, you know, I think that's that's obviously a really big positive for the women's game, and particularly for Australia, New Zealand, have you know gone all in to host this um, this major event because normally these types of events don't come unless you've got a really compelling case. But there's lots of rumours going around about the low ticket sales in New Zealand after sponsor Zero, um, the accounting software, has launched a comp to give away a total of 20,000 tickets. And this is where they can actually stooge the numbers on the tickets because the sponsorship includes ticket allocation. It's deemed to be sold, whether they're just giveaways or not. So, and clearly the soccer is is less of a pulling power in New Zealand. Um, obviously, your rugby union is the biggest sport over there. Rugby league is next. Yeah, you know, even their A-league teams have been okay, but it doesn't really compete from the football world. So, 
Now, tickets as low as 15 bucks for adults, eight for children, sitting in a section with obstructed views, Category 1 tickets. Meanwhile, uh, best on offer, they started about $40 for adults before topping up to about 120 for the final. So it's pretty affordable, to be honest, mm. considering you, know, you look at other sports and you, know, you look at the, the... We were only talking a week or so ago about the... the the cost for tickets to watch Messi play his first game in um, in Miami are just out of this world. So, yeah, it, I think that that's pretty good, and it helps that FIFA's cap price is one hundred and ten percent of the original ticket price. So, yeah, that's going to keep it down for fans. Um, but their biggest challenge, Monty, as you've you've touched on the whole time along, there's been these media rights, isn't it? You know, they they budgeted on making it a lot, and they've fallen quite short. Yeah, FIFA hoped to make. Uh, US $300 million in global broadcast fees from um, from the Women's World Cup. It looks like they're going to probably settle for closer to $200 million. So, uh, you know, a bit short from their, their budget. I mean, as we've talked about uh, probably in the last couple of months, is a lot of this came about because they just couldn't really get a good deal done with the European broadcasters. And those broadcasters lowballed FIFA and then we saw that, um, you know, the FIFA, FIFA boss threatened to, to have a a World Cup blackout, and it was getting pretty ugly there. But the tough thing with Europe is the time zone. Like the Aussie time zone just didn't suit. So um, you can understand that it's probably not a not a lucrative uh, offering for for Europe, who then has to try and sell advertising and cover their own costs. So yeah, you can see why it was pretty tough to to achieve those those numbers. And when you talk about that time zone, when it's late at night in Australia, it's first thing in the morning. Yeah. You know? Having to sit down to a, a game at nine o'clock in the morning, ten o'clock in the morning, and particularly in Europe, sometimes they're late risers, so that certainly doesn't help. Uh, but still, Soccer Inch Postecoglou will uh, manage his first game tonight, albeit a friendly um, against West Ham. Funny thing is, he's back in Australia. It's in Perth, so the Perth government have obviously bought the game to to bring uh, Edge's uh, Tottenham out for their first game tonight. So it'll be interesting to see how things go there, and whether Harry Kane's a player because he says he's required. And he's obviously required on trip, but uh, we all know that Bayern Munich is chasing pretty hard. And by all reports in the UK, he might want to get out. Yeah. Now the other the other big thing in the world of football or soccer, as it is for us and in the states, is Lionel Messi was un- officially unveiled by Inter Miami yesterday. Uh, at, what's interesting is everyone in the US, you know wasn't long ago when when soccer was a bit of a, a non-event but everyone is saying it was a historic moment for us sport put the mls right up there uh, alongside the country's top leagues did you see any of the footage shredders massive yeah i thought oh, i thought this was amazing i saw his family arrive uh, security everywhere didn't help that it dumped down with rain the whole time the stadium was totally packed Eighteen thousand fans full blow concert um Torrential rain. It had absolutely everything. David Beckham in all the photos um, presented uh, Messi with his number ten jersey. Yeah, and this is the interesting bit. Uh, we can talk about the money behind it. Originally, it was announced as a two and a half year deal. We'll pay between seventy three million to eighty eight million annually, but the total contract value is one hundred eighty three million to two hundred twenty million. That's the cash alone, and we haven't mentioned. And this is one of the big announcements yesterday. Is um, I saw an, an ad with, uh, obviously you get an equity deal as part of it. And one of those partnerships is Adidas and Apple. And I saw one of the, the signs that had a picture of Pink Goat and then it had a picture of the Apple sign. So 
they're pushing it hard too. And what's going to make this even work even better is when you've got big partnerships like Adidas and Apple blowing this up massively. So all of a sudden, the MLS, and what's going to get even the Americans excited about this is the fact that it was only eight months ago that this guy held the World Cup and was named um, player of the tournament. So it's not like he's coming as a retired uh, has-been cashier, which was some of the, and whether he was fully committed, which was some of the knocks on David Beckham back in the day. You come and play a Galaxy, played well, just left Real Madrid, won the title in La Liga, um, his first title in Spain. But then it was always, oh yeah, and then I'm going to, in the off-season, I'm going to go, I'll go on loan to Paris Saint-Germain was one of them. Um, AC Milan was another one of them. So there were always these situations where he was he was able to potentially go and move elsewhere, whereas this deal doesn't look like this. This deal looks like it's a straight standard deal. He'll continue to probably play in Argentina. And let's face it, he's hitting there still, whilst he's, what, 36 years of age uh, or roundabouts, he's still at the top of his game. And that's what's going to help U.S. soccer. And we go back to another name, I mean, to be negative about the Beckham deal. But the Beckham deal sent the MLS into stratosphere in terms of, wow, we've got a worldwide star and a worldwide gun soccer player in one. This guy's the arguably the best player that's ever been or in the conversation. Now, he's not the media man or the savvy media man that Beckham is, but they're going to get on-field antics probably that Beckham couldn't deliver. You know, he had lots of injuries and, and issues there, but... Yeah, the world of soccer has just gone absolute crazy, and um, oh, I think it's great if you can, uh, if you can take on the biggest market in the world, America, and succeed. Then you know soccer will clearly be the number one sport in the world, which it already is. But then they'll take over America too, which is even bigger. And very much like the F one, so were never the the flavor of America. Now the flavor of America is certainly F ones. Yeah, you cracked that US market, and you are set. Uh, and. Look, there's certainly, uh, it's just, feels like there's just so much cash floating around in the world of soccer. Uh, Stevie Gerrard, mate, is uh, security zone, little uh, cash grab. Yeah, Stephen Gerrard has signed up as manager at Al Etifax, which is one of the big Saudi clubs. Um, almost $30 million a year, a three-year deal. He has instantly gone from an unemployed manager, now the fourth highest paid manager in the world. Uh, Diego Simeone is uh, from Atletico Madrid is the number one man and um, Pep Guardiola number two but Steven Gerrard has is, is even leapfrogged uh, Liverpool Jurgen Klopp to uh, to head into number uh, three on the world which is just huge and he hasn't messed around there this is the type of money that got him they're, they're throw, sort of throwing money at, um, at marquee players as well so it's believed that Gerrard is desperate and they're already talking to li- current Liverpool captain Jordan Henderson He's been offered $1.3 million a week to join him. So, you know, for the, the soccer right. fans in the world, I think it's uh, £700,000 a week, which is, you know, in our money, $1.3 million a week to join him. Uh, and it's word is it's about a five-year deal. So they're throwing telephone numbers to players. We saw the first one in Ronaldo. We've seen uh, Benzema and a heap of other players. Kante joined, saying it looks like what Henderson will be. Um, if they can get a fee because Liverpool now not going he's got one year left on his deal Henderson and Liverpool now going well we know how deep pockets the Saudis have got you're going to have to pay a transfer fee and they're hoping for at least 20 million pounds to release the captain who's only got one more year left on his deal so it's crazy cash the world's gone nuts it really has unfortunately not the same like in netball and we've been following um, just kind of the administration and management of, of netball uh, for a while and pretty frustrating news um, 
you know, with the the Netball World Cup in South Africa, quite literally just a couple of weeks away, uh, right at the death, last minute, the naming rights sponsor Vitality is pulled out. Uh, you know, as I said, like literally days before this event is supposed to kick off. Pretty poor. I mean, the medical insurance company said that it couldn't come to terms with World Netball. We don't know a whole lot of detail about that. But the fact they could not get it done is, is, is pretty poor. Um, and, you know, you've got like the Aussie Diamonds in a promotional photo shoot, um, you know, supposed to be all the glitz and get glamour and they've got tape of the Vitality logos that are originally on the dresses. Like just such a poor look coming into such a major event where the build-up's been happening for years. So pretty average. Yeah, well, it's it's sort of running through that rut at the moment, isn't it? They're in the eye of the storm, so to speak. There's not many things that can go right for Netflix at the moment, even though it's, uh, the great Thunderbirds got the job done a, a week or so ago. So it's just the grassroots, right? They just got to get some of the key decision-making right. We've talked about this for quite some time now. Um, the one team that looks like they are got their grassroots going pretty well is um, the Ashes, our women's team. Uh, Three-run win saw us retain the Ashes, which is an 8-6 lead. It's the multi-format. Um, we won the Test match, which was worth, I think, about six points. I think it was, no, uh, four points originally. So there were, um, I think, four one-days, four T20s, and a Test match included. Um, so we've got an unassailable 8-6 lead um, heading into the final game. So it's a great... Uh, great effort, the girls, to retain the Ashes. Um, and on the bigger side tonight, the uh, we all focus back in on the fourth test, um, which starts, sorry, tomorrow night, that is. Um, weather looks concerning, as is always the way. So hopefully Stewie Jew, the Gold Coast coach, can do something about that while he's over there at Old Trafford. But we, we know we know that an Ashes series and good weather never really comes hand in hand when we're playing the Poms on their home deck. But um, Usman Khawaja has spoken out. Um, about crowd abuse that he thinks it's really gone too far. You know, he's talked about whether he gets his, you know, he wouldn't want his family to come along and all those sorts of things. And for him to speak out, it, you know, he's not someone who really picks the scab, so to speak, on a lot of issues. Um, so he's making a lot of sense when he says it's 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 tipped over into into ugly land. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit, like even in an AFL context with the booing. You know, we talked about right at the start of the footy season. It's like, come on, guys. Like, this is, I think it's this kind of celebrity uh, attitude that people have where they're, they're so overly familiar. And it's almost like they've, they're kind of dehumanizing these um, sports stars. So they literally think they can shout whatever they want over the fence or in person to these guys. I think, I don't know what, it's a tough one. I mean, what do you do about it, Truth? Well, I, I, it's funny when you're saying that, I, I remember people on talkback radio and they'd like go well if i pay my money i can say what i want do what i want well no there's a level of decorum that you actually need to behave with and this is the problem a lot of those people who lose their call are often sitting next to family members and younger kids and you're effectively training kids that acting like a yobbo is actually okay and i know the word yobbo is probably not but um used much in england it's hooligan <laughs> um so, yeah, I get it. I get what they're doing. I get they want to cheer, but there's a level of personal. Since it tips into personal land, then it's not on. You know, singing songs and having fun and, as you say, taking the mickey, having a, hanging a bit of shit on someone is fine. That's all part of the atmosphere. You know, Travis Head got cheered for a whole <laughs> six hours of cricket the other week in one of the test matches after. You know, you know, but when it you know dips into ugly land, like what, 
you know, Kawaju had to face when he walked through the Lord's Long Room. Now, that, rightfully so, that stuff needs to be stamped out and stamped out quickly because we don't want it losing the case where it's very rare, you know, professional players now mix with the public. It's been a great loss over the journey. Now it needs extra security around. Now we need people around and players run detours and you can't walk through because players are coming through. It's changed a lot over the years and I don't think it's changed for the better. Now, Trudis, Daniel Ricciardo is back in F1 land. Uh, what's been happening and, and I guess what does it mean for his career in the Formula 1? Well, he did that trial um, in the Red Bull a couple of weeks ago and his time's really stacked up. So for a guy who hasn't raced competitively since he left the McLaren last year, other than some testing uh, in the off-season, he's done really well. So um, the great news is he's back with AlphaTauri for the rest of the season. The bit is here. Everyone's talking about it. Yes, he's back on the group, but he's in a car that's not that competitive. Um, but effectively, let's face it, his career's on the line. You know, he's not young anymore. They're expecting results. And if he does well and he could somehow pinch some points, um, then that would be a hell of a lot better than what AlphaTauri have had this year. And then he actually gets himself back into the market for um, other other seats going forward. Um, you, you look at where things go. Is he going to end back a Red Bull in a main seat? Well, if he goes unbelievably well, that could be possible. But it also could be that he fall, falls into one of the other seats around the place because you know, last year he had options, but he had options at the bottom end, uh, at the end of the uh, the grid, so to speak. And he just thought, well, you know, I'll get back into Red Bull, I'll get back in amongst the best team, um, take a year out, and let's face it, who knows? You know, would he be next to Verstappen next year? Don't know. But, you know, let's face it, he could also, if he goes quite well, it could secure a ride at some lesser teams like we've seen um, Valtteri Bottas, Bottas do uh, since he was at McLaren sorry Mercedes um, he lost his seat now he's been able to be really competitive in a lesser car and his, his career continues on so he's going to have a big say in where he wants to go and what he wants to do with his career but it's all going to be off the back of his performances so yeah, I'd love to see him continue on Dan Ricciardo I think he's great sport him not, not being in the grid and in pit lane as a full-time driver, the, the the industry and the competition loses something because of that. Yeah. Now, tennis traders, there's a, I think, confirmed changing of the guard happening right now. Yeah, there certainly is, and he's an absolute superstar. Carlos Alcaraz, you know, he's already won a Grand Slam, but he won his second, defeating Novak Djokovic, who was going for his third Grand Slam out of three this year after having won the Australian Open and the French Open. And he did it in an absolute epic. It was a five-set epic. I think he broke him 6-4 in the last set. Uh, he looked like he was gone at one stage, lost 1-6. So Alcaraz, but he's got the whole bottle. And even to hear Djokovic talk about him, he said he's got a mixture of everything. He's got a mixture of uh, of Roger, Rafa, and myself. And he says, so that says to where he's going, and he's 20 years old. So he pockets US $3 million for winning. And uh, we've been hanging out for what's next. We talk about the tennis players and you go, okay, who's ever going to be the next Serena Williams or who's going to be the next Rafa or Roger or Novak? Well, I think we've seen in the men that Carlos Alcaraz could legitimately be that way if he stays healthy and keeps playing the way he's played. He's a phenomenal athlete. Yeah, it's quite amazing efforts at, at Wimbledon. And yeah, I think great for the sport that he's really kind of stepped into those those big shoes. Now, at the NBA, Shredders, you know, as expected, LeBron James has come out and says, oh, by the way, I'm not retiring. I mean, we, we kind of knew that, that he was yeah. 
he kind of he kind of threw that retirement chat, uh, you know, at the end of last season just to just to shift shift a few things behind the scenes. We think, but he will no longer be wearing the uh, number number six out there. Uh, out of respect to Boston Celtics legend Bill Russell, who died last year at the age of eighty-eight, so number six has been retired, and it excludes excludes those who are already wearing number six. But uh, James has decided to go back to number twenty-three anyway. Uh, he won his last NBA championship with the Lakers in twenty twenty, wearing the number twenty-three, uh, and of course, you know. This game is commercial. When you switch jerseys, then everyone who's got the uh, number six has to go and buy buy another fresh uh, jersey. Get, get back yeah, to well, 23. Well, I don't mean to be insincere here, but to be fair, I know he was relatively close to Boston Legends, um, Bill Russell, but who passed away last year. But if we really think it's all about showing tribute, I think it's all about commercialism and for a guy who spoke out after they were swept straight in straight sets in the, um, not straight sets, in, in, in straight games in the finals. Um, and he talked about retirement straight away. He's the ultimate diversion tactic, this guy. So he uh, he's, a, he's a superstar. He'll go down as one of the greatest ever, um, in my mind, behind Michael Jordan. Um, but you know this is a commercial aspect. Imagine how many every time the Staples Center plays, and what there's eighty thousand people or so that watch that, uh, watch the Lakers playing a home game. Majority of people around the world. I know my my son's collecting jerseys. He hasn't got LeBron. I'm lucky because if I had a six, I'd be up for a twenty three as well. And that's exactly what every family uh, of LeBron James fans would be facing. So, you know, he's smart. He understands this, and this is the world we live in. Now, Steph Curry is obviously uh, a, a dead eye in front of the ring, just stopping this. And, and he's, he's not too bad at golf as well, Travis. Oh, he's more than not too bad at golf. It's, it's almost like there was a magnet in the hole, a magnet in the ball. He's hit a, a hole in one with the American Century Championship Celebrity Tournament, which he actually went on to win. Not only can he, sh- you know, he grow from a nine from a par three, he can sink a decent putt too. So, and he just shot 152 yards. 152-yard par three hole-in-one at the uh, Edgewood uh, Tahoe. And, mate, I-, I don't know what's going on there. When he shoots and the quarter doesn't look human, when he shot this golf shot, it, it-, it just resembled something out of Live Golf or the USPTA. He- yeah, we-, we know Michael Jordan played a lot of golf all the journey, but clearly Steph Curry plays a lot of golf because the way his swing looks and the way he hit that, that ball... Uh, unbelievable. He's just a freak. Some people have got everything. Yep. Unfortunately, I am not one of them. But uh, anyway, thank you for tuning in. And remember to subscribe at www.thebigdeal.au to get all the notes and details from the episode. Uh, you know, we talked about Messi. We, I'll embed the, uh, uh, the the YouTube clip from the announcement and, and all the other bits and pieces and numbers that we always have. So thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.